In our text today, Paul wraps up the book of Galatians and he stays true to the end at attacking the false gospel of works that you can do something to be saved. Remember the region of the Galatia had received the word of God. They had gotten saved. They had followed Christ. They had been born again. They had been regenerated. They had been given the new life. And then when false apostles or false teachers came in telling them that Christ wasn't enough, that they needed to keep at least part of the law. These were legalists. Uh, we used to call them Judaizers. But the difference between a legalist and a Judaizer, a Judaizer is Jewish and a legalist is just someone who believes in the law. And since we don't know who these people were that came in with their doctrines, we know their doctrine well because Paul refutes it well, but we don't know if they were Gentile or Jewish that came in. So it's better to refer to them as legalists than it is as Judaizers. But Paul stays true to attacking this false gospel. And we learned in the very first chapter, if anybody comes to you, teaching you anything that is different than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. And then Paul said this, if anybody or, or I, if an angel or myself come to you telling you something different than what you've already heard, let them be accursed. That's so strong that we have everything that we need for salvation spelled out in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. And anytime someone comes along and says, I've got more to add, I've got something else for you to do, you may be saved with Christ, but you're more or saved if you do what I tell you to do. Or you need this to genuinely be saved. You only think you're saved, but unless you do this, go to our church, do this thing, keep this part of the law, then you're not really saved. And Paul will attack that again, and he does it tonight in his own hand. And you might say, well, isn't the whole thing written by Paul? Yes, but he used a secretary, for lack of a better word, to dictate the letter. But in this chapter, in this section, he takes the pen out of his hand and he writes it with his own hand. He wants to write this section in his own hand and we'll take a look at that here in a minute. He makes one final push that they should reject those false teachers. He brings up the motives of the false teachers. Why would they want to do this? And he brings up the motive of why we should do anything we do for Christ. What should our motive be? Paul will bring that up in this passage. He also contrasts their lies with the powerful truth of the new creation. When you are born again, God transforms you and turns you into a new creation. So what could any work you do add to that new creation? So he contrasts their lies to the incredible truth of the new creation. And the title of our message is what happens when we, uh, when we get saved or what happens when we become a new creation. We're going to take a look at some of those things tonight. Now, the Bible teaches us that when we come to Christ, there is a transformation. God changes us and gives us a fresh start and gives us the Holy Spirit. It is incredibly powerful when you take a step back and realize all the things that you have that are from Christ. No matter what's happening in your life now, no matter what you might be going through, no matter what you might be facing or how dark the days may be, you have reason to be optimistic because of all that God has given you and all that God has done for you as a born again Christian, as one who is on the new creation. And I want us to see that clearly today. Now, uh, here are a couple of things the Bible says about the new creation. First of all, it says in Galatians 6, 15, this is in our text, 
for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. The word avails there means help. So circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't help anything. In the NIV, it says, uh, the NIV says, uh, means anything. So in other words, it says, uh, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. In the ESV, it says, counts for anything, doesn't count for anything, but the new creation. So being circumcised or uncircumcised, and this is the thing they had told the, the Christians in the region of the Galatian, Galatia, if you get circumcised, then it really matters. Then you're really saved. Then you're serving God. Remember, the temple was still around and they were trying to turn them into Jews who would go and worship in the temple. But here he clearly states, what matters is not circumcision or uncircumcision. What matters is not going to church on Saturday or Sunday. What matters is not whether or not you've been baptized by being dunked or sprinkled or poured on. What matters is the new creation. That's who gets into heaven. Those people that are part of that new creation. Now, continuing on on just a couple of things the Bible says about the new creation, Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you and I should walk in. God's working on you like a piece of art. You are his workmanship created for good work. Any of you guys ever have a, a wood shop? I had a wood shop for a while. And then I think I was allergic to at least some kind of the wood. And I started coughing during services and I had to give it up. But I created certain things for certain purposes. I would create a bookshelf in our house for certain books in a certain place to do a certain job. That's the idea. You are God's workmanship. He's made you for a job, for something to do. That's part of the new creation. Romans 7, 6 says, but now we have been delivered from the law. And I love that. This is Romans. This is another testimony besides Galatians telling us that we are not under the law. It literally, Paul says here in Romans 7, you have been delivered from the law. Having died to what we were held by, he, he makes this point in Galatians, if you remember, that once you are dead, the law no longer has power over you. A woman is bound to a husband as long as he's alive, but when he de is dead, she is free. That was his analogy. And so now you have died in Christ, so you are free from the law. The law has no more power over you because you are dead in Christ. And he's making the same point here in Romans. He says, so what uh, we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Let me read that all again because I couldn't just read it. Now let, uh, but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the law. So now that we have the spirit and our spirits have been brought to life, we're able to serve God. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That is that you don't walk around like the old guy, but you put on the new guy Remember, there's that battle. The old guy doesn't, isn't done away with yet. We've got the sin nature, the flesh battling against the spirit that's taking place. So let's pick it up in Galatians 6.1. We will get into more about what changes when we become a Christian in a few moments. But here in the beginning, he says, see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now, Paul had some kind of an eye disease. At least we believe that he did. He told the Galatians, you would have gladly given me your eyes. Here he talks about the letters that he writes that are large. 
it seems that he would sign the end of his letters because there were people who were forging letters. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 11, the Thessalonians had received letters as if from Paul. It says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that's the rapture, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. So somebody had written a letter to the Thessalonians telling them that the day of Jesus had come and that they were in the tribulation. And so Paul said, you can't be in the tribulation because there's a falling away first and the man of sin would be revealed. You'd be able to tell who the Antichrist is. The man of sin wasn't revealed, so they weren't in there. But it was as if a letter from him. People forged letters from Paul. So he takes the pen in his own hand and saying, this is my, the way I write. See what large letters I write to you. And um, he often and most often used secretaries to write his letters. And then he says in, uh, in, verse, in verse 12, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. So now he's wrapping it up. This is, this is the closing argument before the jury. He's, he's, he's closed everything down now. As many desire to make a good showing in the flesh, they would compel you to be circumcised. What is their motive? They desire that you would become like them. They want to win you over to their side. That should never be your motive in ministry. Even as a teacher, even, even as a, a, a teacher in a church, your goal should never be to try to get people to believe what you believe. The motive should always be to present the truth and to let people be able to take that truth into their lives. It should never be, look how many people I've straightened out. Look how many people I've got believing the right way. It should never be that. It should just be properly handling the word of God, getting the word of God out there because the word of God is alive and active. The word of God works in the hearts of those who believe. And if you get the truth out there, that's good. If your goal, and churches do do this, pastors do get caught up in this. If your goal is some pet theology and, and no matter what passage you're in, you come back around to your pet theology. I've been in churches that every sermon turns into a God chose you and you didn't choose God message. Every single sermon. It was like, that's what their thing was. That's what they were about. They were about winning people over to their, their theology rather than teaching the truth, which is not what we should do. And I'm not saying that they weren't Christians. I'm just saying that's a mistake. That's why going through books of the Bible is so helpful because it keeps you away from the little pet things you always want to go to or, or the things that you may feel really strong about. So they had a desire to win people over to their way and, and that's always the wrong motive. It's not our desire. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people make it into heaven. And, and even if you get into heaven with a wrong theology, that's not going to keep you out of heaven because the Bible doesn't say what you believe gets you into heaven. It's about having a relationship with Christ. But the truth is powerful and you just teach the truth for the sake of the truth. Paul said to Timothy, this is, the, this is supposed to be the motive you have in teaching. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 and then 17 and 18, be diligent 
to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. So you just want God to think well of you. You don't do what you do for people to think well of you, but you do what you do to be approved by God. And then a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed. I've rightly handled the word of God. Even when there was pressure to not handle the word properly, you rightly handle the word of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And their message shall spread like cancer. So there's this message out there. Hermeneus and Philetus are of the sort, so he actually names them, who have strayed concerning the, the truth, saying the resurrection has already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. So he's talking to him in the context. There's these false teachers that are out there. But you, Timothy, be approved to God. Don't be ashamed by, by teaching something false and rightly divide the word of God. And that should always be the motive. Never to get caught up in some doctrine to try to win people over to a doctrine. Titus 2.7 says, In all things show yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. Now the word there in doctrine, that word is translated in the ESV and NIV. If you have that in front of you, you'll see it as teaching. So this word doctrine could be teaching as well. So it could say in teaching, showing yourself with integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. Integrity, you handle the word of God rightly. You're not misconstruing it. You're not manipulating it. It's something that's for your own favor. In reverence, this is God's word. And I get to handle God's word. I've got to have reverence towards the word of God if, if I don't, I'm going to be disrespectful towards God. So I have to have that reverence for the word. And when you're, whenever you're teaching, you have that reverence for it. And then incorruptibility, that you do not allow yourself to be corrupted by whatever you may be able to gain. Because when you are a teacher, opportunities along those lines will come along. So he points out that they're doing this for their flesh. They compel them to be circumcised for their flesh. And that's their motive. And then he says, Still in verse 12, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. It's interesting. This is the seventh time in the, if, if I've counted correctly, by the way, it'd be really funny if I didn't count correctly and I make a big point of it. And then somebody comes up to and goes, there's actually eight times. But as I counted, this is the seventh time that he brings up the cross in the book of Galatians. The seven is the number of completeness. I don't want to make too much out of that. But I do find that interesting. And the cross is the work by which you're saved. And the legalists were trying to get you to do work to be saved. And so seven times he brings up the cross. That is how we are saved, by the work of the cross. And they were ashamed of the cross. They, they didn't want to suffer persecution because of the cross. And we're going to look at a couple of passages that will help us to understand that. In fact, let's do that now. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. By the way, that helps us to understand that being baptized is not part of the gospel. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Baptism is something that happens after you're saved. But to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
There are people who will not follow Jesus because he got crucified. The idea that someone could come and suffer the shame of the cross, it is one of the reasons that a lot of, of people in Israel will not follow Jesus. When you start asking them, why do you not receive Jesus as your Messiah? Because they're like, he's the Messiah. He's not going to be crucified by somebody. They're not going to strip him and nail him to a tree. He's the Messiah. They just, it is just uncomprehendable to them that the Messiah could have come and went to this very shameful thing of being stripped and nailed to a tree and hung up for everybody to see. And it is a message of foolishness to those who are perishing. This is one of the reasons Paul is saying that people like to add stuff to the cross. They don't want to boast in the cross. They want to boast in circumcision. They want to boast in uh, Sabbath day. They want to boast in baptism. They want to boast in something else, but not the cross. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Now, I love that, that Paul points this out. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. They come along and they want to get you circumcised because they don't want the shame of the cross, but they themselves don't even keep the law. And that statement could be made of every other area that people add for salvation. For those who, who are of the sabbatical teaching, don't keep the Sabbath, don't keep the law. Why would I say that? Okay, so they say, look, you guys are, are not every church that is a sabbatical church teaches this. Some go to church on Saturday because they prefer to. And we understand our freedom in Christ, right? And if you decide, you know what? I want to go to a church that meets on Saturday. It was the Sabbath in the Old Testament. I realize that there's nothing but difference between Saturday and Sunday, but it's just what I want to do. I just want to go to church on Saturday. I just feel better doing it. You can do that. You have that freedom to do it. But as soon as you say someone going to church on Sunday is not genuinely saved, that's the problem. So these people that say, you got to, you know, that the Sabbath law was part of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, part of the Ten Commandments. And you got to keep the Ten Commandments. So if you're not going to church on, on Saturday, you're not keeping the commandments. Well, there's a problem with that sentence that it never said go to church on Saturday. It never said go to the synagogue on Saturday. It said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. They weren't supposed to travel very far. They weren't supposed to work. There were things they couldn't do on the Sabbath day. I would respect them a lot more if they simply said, we're trying to keep the Sabbath day as it was written in the Old Testament. I would at least have some respect for them. But when they get in the car, drive to church on Saturday and say, we're going to heaven and you're not because we're here on church on Saturday. Well, you who are of the Sabbath are not even keeping the law. You make it your mark of salvation and you don't even keep the law. You could say the same thing with anyone here. They're not keeping the law. They rewrite it. The Sabbatarians of the day of Jesus accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, you teach the traditions of men as if they are the commandments of God. That was the problem. Jesus didn't break the Sabbath, but he, he broke their traditions. And they teach the traditions of men as if they are the word of God. And they add to it. So those who want you circumcised, don't keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Again, their motive in their preaching is to see people believe what they believe, to get people on board with what they believe, not the proper motive for teaching. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, all I want to boast in is what Jesus did. 
We could think about that in a lot of different ways. We could take someone who is very, very talented, like a David Jeremiah or a Charles Swindoll. And Charles Swindoll, David Jeremiah, with all their gifting and all their teaching, are supposed to go, I don't boast in any of that. Because in, in reality, what do they have that wasn't given to them? Every gift that they have was given to them by God for the church. And their boasting is to be in the cross. There's nothing that you or I can do for the kingdom of God that should make us be prideful and boast about that. It should be in the cross of Christ. If I'm going to boast in anything, Jesus died for me. That's what I should boast in. He saw me. I, I, I like to think that he looked at me as a 14-year-old kid and thought, I, I don't have any idea what this guy's going to do without me. And he saved me. And that God has used me by his grace. And I understand what Paul means. Now, remember, Paul had a lot of qualifications. Paul was a Pharisee. He sat under Gamaliel in, in becoming a Pharisee, who was considered the Pharisee's Pharisee. Paul was a Benjamite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, he said. But Paul said, I don't boast in any of that. I boast in the cross of Christ alone. What, what is anything that we do compared to the cross of Christ? And anything that we do that results in anyone being saved, experiencing the change of life, uh, the change that comes through regeneration, that hasn't come from the cross. We're, we're pointing to the cross and he's the one saving and changing people. So he says, I will not boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want any distractions of any other kind of teaching. He says, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, again, he's bringing up the idea of the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but it is Jesus that lives in me. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When you are a born again Christian, you are no longer living for yourself. You are now living for God. If you're, if you find yourself here tonight and you've never received Christ, you've never been born again, this is a really good lesson to be in to determine whether or not you really want to give your life to Christ. Because what you're going to do is stop living for you and start living for Jesus. You're going to crucify your life and you're going to crucify the world to you and you're going to live for Jesus. We give our lives as a sacrifice to him. Whatever it is that he has prepared us for, remember we're his workmanship created for good works in Christ. And so we are crucified to the world. Let's talk a little bit more about the cross and the shame of the cross. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible here agrees. The cross is shameful. Jesus despised the shame but he endured it for the joy that was set before him. And my contention is that the joy that was set before him is you. He knew that when he went to the cross, the work would be done and you would be saved. No wonder the doctrines of demons is to add to the work of the cross. Taking that work that is incredibly sufficient to save anyone who would turn to him and saying it's not sufficient, you've got to do something else in order to really be saved. 
No wonder that's a false teaching. But Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, but endured the cross. Philippians 2.8 says, and being found in the appearance of man, this is God becoming man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. So that passage helps us to understand that the death of the cross is like the most shameful, awful, worst way you could die. And he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. So the Bible agrees. It is a shameful thing to be crucified. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He freed you from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? That if you don't keep it, you will be destroyed. It's death. He hung on the tree, became a curse to free you from the curse. It was, it was essential that Jesus would go and become that curse. But yes, it is a shameful thing. It is a shameful death. One that was done for us. And then in verse 15, he says this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Doesn't mean anything. You're circumcised, you're not circumcised, doesn't matter. You baptize by being immersed, sprinkled, poured on, doesn't matter. There, nothing like that matters except the new creation. The new creation is all that matters. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us the extent of this new creation. You're a new creature. Just think about this for a moment. In fact, I have a, I want to make sure I don't have this in my notes. All right, let's just think about this for a moment. I hate when I share something and I turn around and I've got all the notes there for me to be able to share. Um, Adam and Eve are created. They're a new creation. And they're created without a sin nature. They face the temptation of the devil without a sin nature. And they take of the fruit of good and evil, which helps them, which they gain a sin nature from. It helps them get a sin nature. That's probably not the right way to put it. They get a sin nature when they fall into that. And then they pass that sin nature on to everyone. Before they had fallen into sin, God had given them dominion over the earth. God wanted them to rule with him over the earth. That was God's plan. Then they fall into sin and mankind fell into sin with them. And everyone who was born is born with a dormant spirit or a dead spirit. Everyone who is born is, is a part of now that old creation that has the result of sin nature in it. But now you get saved. You, you, you receive the work Jesus did on the cross. You say, Lord, thank you. Forgive me of my sins. I, I wanna live for you now, which is what repentance is. When you're gonna live for yourself and you decide you're still gonna live for yourself, that's not repentance. When you're living for yourself and you decide I wanna live for God, you've changed your mind, you've repented. And now you wanna live wholeheartedly for him. God regenerates you. The miracle of regeneration happens when you receive Christ. The Bible says in John 1, 12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. The power to become that child happens when you receive him, which means you have to invite him in. You have to receive him. And when that happens, you are regenerated and you are made into a new person. How new? Well, listen to what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, all things are new. That's a very powerful passage. 
old things pass away, meaning not only the sinful things. I'm glad the sinful things are gone. The things that Robert Furrow had done, even as a Christian, are under the blood of Christ. Those old things are gone. I'm a new creation. But also whatever I achieve, any of my achievements. And Paul had a lot of achievements, but he says they're past. That all things have passed away. And all things have become new. You get a brand new, fresh start in Christ. That's the new creation. And now your spirit has been quickened and brought to life. Talking about sin coming into the world through Adam, it says in Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So we have all sinned and death spread to us. Let's consider quickly some of the things that change when we come to Christ. Galatians 20, 20, and I'm not necessarily going to read all these. I just want to kind of give them to you. You can look them up later. Galatians 20, 20 tells us we are no longer living for ourselves. That's where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when a part of the new creation is no longer living for yourself. Now this causes a lot of people to go, well, then I'm out. I like living for myself. I don't want to live for Christ. I want to live for myself. They want Jesus to be a self-help kind of guy. Why don't you come help me be better me? I want you, Jesus, to help me be a better me. Isn't that a good thing? Do you want you to help me be a better me? And Jesus says, no. You're gonna if, you, if you give your life to me, you'll live for me. Number two, you are reconciled to God. You are separated from him now. In fact, the wrath of God is on you. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 18, that this new creation you have reconciles you to God. And so now you have a ministry of reconciliation. Part of the new creation is that when you're reconciled to God, now you are the light of the world. Now you are the salt of the earth. Now you are a city set on a hill. Now you're an ambassador for Christ as if you are compelling the world to give their lives, their lives to Christ. Now you shine for him. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has a plan for our lives. There's a lot of verses I could have chosen for this. God has a plan. I love that there's the passage in the Old Testament for Israel. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord's plans for you to succeed, to have a future and a hope. I also kind of think it's funny that a lot of people hate when us Christians quote that because the context is to Israel. And so they'll say, does it say God has a plan for you? Does it say God wants to give you a future? Does it say God wants to give you hope? That's misusing the scripture. And I, I agree with them. It's in the context of Israel. Yes. However, I can rebuild every one of those from other places in the Bible. So if I can rebuild it in other places, that God has a plan for me, God's given me a future, God's given me hope, then I can accept that for myself. Knowing that originally, yes, the context is to the nation of Israel. But, but who says that God can't personalize a verse like that to you? Sometimes we get a little too rigid. Now, if you can't rebuild it, if you can't rebuild it in promises made to the church, then you can't accept it. But if you can rebuild it and that can be rebuilt, God has a plan for your life. And that's Ephesians 2.10, the workmanship passage. You are his workmanship created for Christ Jesus for good works. He's got a plan for you. He's got a corner in the house for you. Your bookshelf, your whole certain books, whatever it is, whatever God's got for you. Number three, or continuing, 
There is no condemnation if you're in Christ. Even when you sin, you're not condemned. Even though you may be ashamed of your sin, you're not condemned. If you confess, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to lead you into righteousness. There, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are part of the new creation, you are not condemned. Even if you condemn yourself, God doesn't condemn you. What an incredible, powerful truth that we need to hear. This is 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just and the unjust, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We are made alive in the spirit to him. Uh, next, your, um, your spirit is brought to life. Jesus said, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they died. God said, in the day you eat it, you will die. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but they didn't die physically the day they ate it. So they had to die another way. And it's really interesting in the Hebrew, and I don't read Hebrew, so I don't have any way to check this out. I tried to go check it out today and I had a little bit of difficulty, but I'm going to just put it this way. I'm told that in the Hebrew, it says in the day you eat it, you will die, die. It, it repeats the word die in the original manuscripts. In the day you eat it, you will die, die. And that fits so well with die physically, eventually, and die right now spiritually. And when you are born again, your spirit comes to life. And now you, and by your spirit, can interact with God. Jesus said, the day is coming when those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. Let me give you just a couple more here. Uh, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually moves inside, lives inside of you and empowers you. You are given eternal life, which is not to be shrugged off. The Bible says in the presence of God is, is the fullness of joy. When we get into his presence, people say, well, I don't want to live forever. It's going to be boring. I think you have a complete misunderstanding. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. And God would not create you and give you eternity if it wasn't fulfilling for you. There will be, it will be fulfilling. And we're going to be doing a lot more than a worship service in heaven, okay? There are going to be worship services, but there'll be a lot more than that. Um, we are joint heirs with Christ. You have everything. Men and women, you are, you are the firstborn son. In Galatians, he said that saying afterwards, there's no male and female. You're the firstborn son. You're the, the firstborn son got everything. We are joint heirs with Christ. We have it all. That ought to bring a great contentment. You say, well, I don't have it all now. I live in a pretty ugly place. Well, you got it all. It's just where you're staying right now. You got it all. We are joint heirs with him. God works all things together for the good to those who love him. We become a child of God. We have a heavenly father. And my list goes on and on, which it shouldn't, but it does. There's so many more things that happen when we are part of this new creation. Now let's finish up what Paul says here. He says, and as many as walk according to this rule, the rule of a new creation, when you walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And that upon the Israel of God is a play on words. The word Israel well, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob means surplanter. We could, we could, you could translate Jacob's name to manipulator. 
And God changed his name to ruled by God. The L in Israel is God. Israel is ruled by God. So when he says upon the real Israel or the, Israel, the real Israel of God, the people who are really ruled by him. If you're ruled by him, you are really Israel. This has nothing to do with the rejection of Israel forever. That's what the replacement theology people do. That if you're the real Israel, then God doesn't, is those who are Israel aren't really Israel. Those who are ruled by God aren't really ruled by God is what he was saying in Romans. He wasn't saying, he, in fact, in Romans, he says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So God has not rejected them fully. This is just simply saying it's a play on words. That peace and mercy, this is his benediction. Peace and mercy be upon the real Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me. At this point, Paul's kind of fed up. He's writing this with his own hand, remember? He's like, leave me alone. Don't follow me around anymore telling people they have to keep the law. Don't trouble me. For I bear in my body the mark of the Lord Jesus or the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul had been scourged several times, had been beaten with rods several times, had been stoned. Paul literally carried the scars of Christ. Now, it's not in a vulgar way that he says this, but he's saying, you think the mark of Christ is circumcision? I bear in my body the marks of Christ. That's what he's saying. He said, I'll show you the marks of Christ. Leave me alone because I have suffered greatly. This is the marks of Christ. In essence, he's saying, stop following me around. Stop going to these places where I have preached the gospel and people have gotten saved to try to win them over to your way. They weren't going to new places. They were going to where Paul preached. And unfortunately, hearing Paul say this, let no one trouble me. He deals with this his entire life. He, he will deal with the legalists his entire life. Just as we deal with false teachers, and we'll deal with them our entire life. For I bear in my body the marks of Christ. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and would be with your spirit. Amen. Your spirit's been brought to life. And now the grace of God, undeserved favor. And don't, that's not, a, this is not a lackluster, let's just finish this up. Paul doesn't have a, a tremendous opening, doesn't have a tremendous closing, but it's a very powerful closing. He closes by saying, may the undeserved favor of God be with your spirit. Amen period. It's not by any works. It's not by being circumcised. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by where day you go to church. It's not by anything. But may the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God be with your spirits. Amen. Because that's what it is. And don't let anyone put on you any kind of burden that adds to the work of Christ. Be faithful to make sure the gospel is pure because it's not another gospel which somebody adds to it. And don't let anybody lay anything on you that's false, but hang on solidly to the truth. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. What great lessons we gain from the book of Galatians. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you being able to take time to look at this great ending that Paul gives in his own hand. And Lord, may we truly be able to say, I boast in nothing but the cross. It is only in what was done on the cross that I am saved. It is only by the cross I receive anything. There is nothing that I gain by anything that I do, but I will only boast in the cross. 
Other people may boast in the churches they attend, the theologies they believe in, the seminaries they've gone to, but we will boast in the cross. And if we do go to seminaries or attend churches or believe in theologies, they're not to save us. And we thank you for what you provide for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.